0: All right, it's good to be here. My name is Steve Nelson, one of the pastors in our church in El Paso, Texas. And I have three of my kids with me here. Jaira is somewhere, Uh, okay. I didn't know he was sitting with our group, Jaira. And uh, Malia is our oldest, there's Malia. And Jay-Z, right there. Hi, Jay-Z. And uh, yeah, so if you don't like my message, you can beat them up later. And then uh, we also have cousin Erin with us, and she's going to be the one in the hat. So we really like her. So, uh, yeah, today what I want to do is I want to talk about the topic of hell. And I think this is a topic that's really important. And I don't want to just talk about all the bad things about hell. I want to talk about the good things about hell. So the message is called The Good News of Hell the good news of hell, and I really believe that it is good news, because when we look at the topic of hell, what we're going to find is that as we understand it, what it does is it really helps us understand what Jesus has saved us out of, and I think that gives us a greater grasp of what he's called us into, and it's going to be a little bit hard. I mean, in some ways, we're kind of getting the hardest topic out of the way, I think, but... You know, the first part is we talk about hell it's going to be challenging, but we're going to find that Jesus comes in in just a thundering way and rescues us, and that's going to help us really appreciate what Jesus has done for us, and that's going to help us appreciate eternity. And so my hope is that tonight you don't walk out of here scared or terrified or bothered or troubled, but I hope you walk out just encouraged and excited like, man, Jesus is so awesome. He has done so many good things for me, and I want to start off by telling you a story. It's about a TV show that I saw, a news show, when I was roughly your age. I was about 14, I think, and on the news was this story about a place called Mount St. Helens in Washington in the Northwest, and they were talking about this mountain and how it was probably going to explode, and it was Rumbling and gurgling, and I don't know what all was going on, but, but they knew that it was going to blow. And one of the things was it had this bulge that was forming on it. it. And it was a bulge that was like, you know, 50 feet tall. And then 100, and then 150, 200, 250, 300, 350. And so basically, there's this bulge forming on this volcano that's the size of a small mountain. And so they knew that something bad was going to happen pretty soon. And so What they did is they set some kind of a perimeter and said, hey, you know, nobody should be in this area because it's not safe, and so we want you to stay out. And then they went around and they told people, and they said, hey, you guys who live in this area, you need to leave, and, you know, this thing's going to blow. But, you know, it's a little bit hard because they don't know if it's going to blow up tomorrow or in a week or in a month or in six months or ten years. You know how nature is. You, You just don't really know. So some people were reluctant to leave. And I was watching this show, and this, this guy came on that they interviewed. And his name was Harry Truman. As far as I know, he is not related to the former president. But he's an 84-year-old guy, and he's kind of a live wire. He was really fun to watch and just real opinionated and, and just funny to listen to. And, you know, they would talk to him, and he'd go, I'm not leaving, you know, these idiots don't know what they're talking about. And, you know, just kind of with that type of an attitude and one of the things I thought was kind of funny was his daughter tried to bribe him to leave by giving him some whiskey. And uh, he, he said he didn't like to drink the whiskey because the problem was is when he drank a lot, he trembled. And then he couldn't tell if he was trembling from the alcohol or trembling because the mountain was trembling. And so, so things were getting kind of scary. And so he, uh, he, he was just pretty confident that he was going to be okay. He ran this little lodge. He was the owner and manager of this lodge at Spirit Lake. It was about a mile away from the mountain. And so he kind of figured, well, you know, I, I'm a mile away, and there's this lake between the mountain and me, so I think I should be okay. And, and it was a real problem because they knew that this mountain was going to blow up, and so they're trying to get him off, and he wouldn't leave. But not only that, he was really interesting. And so they're interviewing him, and, and these reporters keep flying in to interview him. And so not only was his life at risk, but all these reporters lives were at risk as well. So one of the quotes he said is, you couldn't pull me out with a mule team. That mountain's part of Truman, and Truman's a part of that mountain. Ironically, that became true. The mountain blew, and it blew sideways instead of straight up, and it just went, and I guess they figured that he would have had about 20 seconds so it's probably enough time to be like, uh-oh, <laughs> that's not good. You run outside and be like, oh, man, I'm toast. And, and just this wave of heat would have hit him and probably killed him instantly. And then he was buried under about 150 feet of rock and ash. And they never found his body. And I remember just watching this as a kid. And, and you know, a week or two after the mountain blew, they talked about this guy who wouldn't leave. And I'm like, hey, that's that guy I saw on that TV show. And it's really sad, because he's lovable, you know. Be like your, your crazy grandpa or something. And, and so it's a sad thing. But I thought it was kind of interesting, just in light of hell, how, how hard it is to talk about hell. If you can imagine going around and talking to people and saying, hey, you know, this mountain's going to blow, and you need to get off, and you need to leave. And you might feel a little like, you know, some people are going to think you're crazy, and they're not going to believe you, and they're going to be like, hey, you're just trying to scare me. And you, you, you might feel like you're imposing on people, like you're kind of being bossy, or you're giving them a message they don't like. And, and I think it's that way with hell, where we have this message, and it's kind of uncomfortable. We don't really want to talk about it. And yet, it's kind of an important message, right? Like if a mountain's going to blow up, it's probably good to go and tell people. Like, hey, this is... This is a real thing this is important and i think the message of hell is important not just for other people but even for us to understand so we're going to look at it a little bit today tonight and again i hope by the end of this time you'll be encouraged so let's pray god we ask that you would move here tonight that you would stir our hearts we're going to look at some tough passages it's it's a challenging topic but i pray god you would help us to find the good news in this story Help us to find the message of hope. And I pray that you would change our lives as a result of the things that you teach us tonight and that you teach us over the next few days. And we pray that your spirit would move in each of our hearts because we don't need to hear from these men. We need to hear from you. And so we realize something spiritual needs to happen. We invite you to speak to us to change us, to challenge us, to stir us up, to motivate us. And we pray that you would do that right now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, I want to start off by just looking at what Jesus said on the topic of hell. Uh, Sometimes I've heard people talk about hell. and. I think this is a fine thing to do, but they kind of go through the whole Bible, and they find all the terrible things about hell, and then they paint a picture that's really scary and that freaks you out, and, and basically, kids and adults, it makes you want to go home and sleep with your mommy tonight, you know? It's like, like uh, that's just it's just a freaky topic, right? And so I could paint a picture like that tonight, and I don't want to do that. What I want to do is just look at some things that Jesus said. We're going to look at one verse that God the Father said, and we're going to let Jesus paint the picture of hell so that it's not just Steve's sensationalism or something. So let's just go through some of the verses that he talked about and see what we can learn from each one. Matthew 25, 41, Jesus said, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil. And his angels, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And so in that passage, we see that it's a place for the cursed, that it's a place of eternal fire, and that's a place of eternal punishment. In this next section, uh, Jesus is telling a story about, there's these, these two guys, Lazarus, not the brother of Mary and Martha, different Lazarus, Lazarus and this rich man. And they both die, and the, the poor man, Lazarus, goes to paradise, which is like heaven. It's like a, a holding place before he goes to heaven. And the rich man goes to Hades, or hell. It's like the holding place before hell. So it's not exactly the same as hell, but it's close enough that I think it'll help paint a picture of what hell is like. And so they're in these two places, and we'll pick up the story here in Luke 16, 22. It says, The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets, Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. And so if we go back through that again real quickly, we can see that hell is a place of torment. We can see that it's a place where you would just want just a a drip of water to cool your tongue. You just long for something to drink. And, and I, I don't know for sure this is doctrinally accurate, but do you know what they eat in hell? Health food. And nobody wants to eat that for eternity. Goes on. We see that it's a place of agony. It's a place of fire. Again, in verse 25, agony. It says that people can't cross from heaven to hell or from hell to heaven. That's kind of important to know. It's a place that if people were going there, you'd want to warn them because you don't want them to come and be with you in this place of torment, which it uses that word again. And so, wow, it sounds like a pretty serious place. Let's go to the next one, Matthew 13, 40. Jesus said, As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing, of teeth. A little bit further down in that same passage there's a parallel. It says this, this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them in the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that's in verses 49 and 50. So in both of those sections there, it, it describes it as a fiery furnace, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth, I think of kind of grinding your teeth when you're stressed, when you're freaked out, when you're, when you're in torment when you grind your teeth. Mark 9, 43. Jesus said, If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. And so... There we see that it's a place that the fire never goes out. And we get a picture here that Jesus is saying, hey, whatever you can do to not go to hell, do that. You know, no matter how extreme it is, you should go to all extremes to make sure that you don't go to hell. And we'll come back to that a little bit later. And then in Revelation 21, 8, this is actually something that God the Father says. He says, he who was seated on the throne said, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderous, the sexually immoral... Those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Okay, let's let's think through those just a little bit. I don't want to dwell on kind of the scary parts of the message, but let's go back, see if there's any lessons we can learn from this, because these are teachings from Jesus, right? So he's... he's trying to communicate something to us. He wants us to walk away with something. That's why he's sharing these messages. And the first thing I think is interesting is just Jesus does not use hell as a sadistic ultimatum. We don't see him saying, you know, hey, you need to believe in me or you're going to hell. And it's going to be a place of torture. You know, he's not like, like trying to force people down a certain path. We don't see him doing that. The, the closest thing I could think of, and there might be a, a different verse than this, but uh, John the Baptist where in John 3.36, he says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. But even then, it's not like drawing out how terrible hell is or something. And so we don't see Jesus like twisting people's arms with the message of hell. Instead, he presents it very matter-of-factly, just, hey, I want to let you know about this. And so I I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, I think it's pretty clear that Jesus wants us to take this seriously, I think he doesn't want us to be naive about eternity and what happens to people. And I think one of the reasons he talks on this topic is because our tendency is to be very short-sighted, to be focused on this life. And when we think about hell, what it does is it makes us think, you know, I should reevaluate everything (laughs) because this is kind of an important message. Most of you have probably been on an airplane at some point but when you sit on an airplane before you take off, the flight attendant comes and gives you some instructions. And she teaches you how to use a seat belt just in case you've never been in a car before, but now you're on an airplane. And then uh, she tells you about the oxygen mask that that falls down and that can help you breathe. The cabin fills with smoke. Um, She tells you where the exits are. You know, okay, there's two exits here and there's one here. She tries to point all this stuff out to you, and and most people just kind of sit there kind of like, whatever, we don't care, let's just get going, you know, I want to get to my place, and and we're real anxious and not very interested in what she has to say. But imagine that you're flying, and you're at 5,000 feet, and you're over the ocean, and now she comes out, and she says, hey, everybody, I have an announcement for you. Engines number one and two have gone out. Engines number three and four are in flames. We're going down. We're going to land in the ocean, probably a crash landing. And so I have some instructions for you. Here's how your seat belt works. Here's how the oxygen mask works. Here's where the exits are. Here's how your seat can be used as a flotation device. Okay, this is a completely different game now, right? It's like, okay, what? No, okay, tell me that again. <laughs> and if it doesn't drop down, I wonder if I can force it open. And Okay, I've heard about these seats, and you, know, you might pull your seat out and test it out. Now it's serious. Now it's real. And I think when Jesus talks about hell, that's what it does for us. It it snaps us out of our worldly thinking and helps us realize, oh, wow, there's something else going on here. I need to think about this too. I need to think about eternity because this is really important. I think we can take away from this that hell is not a place you want to go and it's not a place that Jesus wants you to go. It's not an eternal celebration with your party friends. Sometimes you get that picture from the world, right? Sometimes people are saying things like, uh, yeah, well, I don't want to be with you Christians anyway because you guys are a bunch of losers, and I just want to be in hell with my friends, and we're just going to party. And, and you know, just look at what Jesus said. Look at the picture he painted. That's not the picture he painted. And, and even the, the rich man, right? He's like, hey, Abraham, go go." go talk to my father and my brothers because I don't want them to come here too. He doesn't want his friends to come there because he doesn't want them to suffer. It's not a big hot tub party, right? It's a place of misery. And so that's one of the things we can take from his teaching. It's not figurative in a sense that would lessen its torment. And sometimes when people talk about hell, they get into this thing where it's like, you know, like, well, it's not literally a lake of fire. Or, you know, well, you know, Gehenna is like a big garbage dump next to Jerusalem, and and they start explaining this stuff. It's like, okay, what's the point of saying that? If it's not literal, it's still figurative. (laughs) So if it's not a burning lake, it's something like a burning lake. You know, it's like, it's not fun at all. And so we don't need to worry about just how literal it is. Just Jesus is painting a picture here, and I think it's a pretty clear picture. It's like, I don't want to go there. I I think I got that. That's pretty clear. It's certainly not temporary, and if it were, it would still be a big deal. The first verse we looked at, Jesus described it as a place of eternal fire and eternal punishment. Another one of the verses we looked at said it's, a place where there's a fire that never goes out. So we get this picture of of an eternity of suffering. But, you know, even if it was kind of like the Catholic purgatory or something, like for a short period of time, that would still be really serious. I think some people are like, oh, I'll just go pay my dues and it'll be fine. Torment is not that much fun. You know, even if it's not for eternity, even if it was for a thousand years or a hundred years or for a week, it would not be fun. And, And certainly Jesus makes it clear that it is eternal. One time, I took my wife to the dentist because she had an abscessed tooth and it was killing her. And it was after hours and the dentist was her friend and so he met us there. And he didn't have an assistant with him because it was after hours, so he couldn't put her under. And then because her tooth was abscessed, the Novocaine didn't work. Or it didn't work at full blast or whatever. I don't know if it was at 30% or whatever, but... But basically, she had a root canal without Novocaine. That was not fun. And that was not even fun for me to watch because it was 15 or 20 minutes of complete torture. But at least then it ended because they drill through the tooth and, I don't know, they'd pull out the roots and, and then you don't feel anything after that. But <laughs> up until that point... That's yeah, not fun. So, so, you know, it's like I, I, I had one time I was getting a root canal and the novocaine was wearing off, and I think I felt that for about five seconds, and, and it about shot me through the back of the chair trying to get away from that thing. You know, so, so imagining that even if hell was like for a week, <laughs> that's not good. That's not good. So, So, I think it's clear that it's not temporary, that it's eternal, but even if it was for a shorter period of time, it, he is not painting a picture of a nice place. Jesus doesn't want you to go there because Jesus loves you. Jesus doesn't want you to go there because Jesus loves you. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to re- to come to repentance. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to go to hell. That is his heart. And some people might be like, well, what about like Romans? You know, what about when it talks about like, uh, you know, some people were maybe created for destruction and things like that and the Pharaoh. And I, I don't know. That's, that's a good question. Uh, I have a hard time reconciling those verses exactly, doctrinally. Obviously, both are true. Uh, where it says here in Romans 9, 18, God has mercy on those he wants to mercy, and he hardens those he wants to harden. I don't know exactly how that fits with that he wants all people to be saved. But when I look at Jesus' teaching, the emphasis that I see is more along the lines of that verse in Second Peter, that he wants everyone to be saved because he's warning people, right? He's telling them what it's like, and he's like, okay, if you could do anything at all, if your hand was causing you to sin, cut it off. He, he's saying, hey, do whatever you can to not go there. He's not presenting a case of, you know, hell is really bad, but you know what, some of you are just going to go there. Sorry, tough luck, there's nothing you can do about that. You know, what we see is him warning people and helping them think through this so that they'll choose wisely. And so I, I think that's, I think that's good just to realize that I don't like the idea of hell. You don't like the idea of hell. Jesus doesn't want us to go to hell either. So let's that that one passage is kind of weird, right? Where it's like cut off your foot and your hand and your eye and makes me think of those jokes where it's like, you know, what do you call someone with norms and no legs? Yeah, I'm not going to go there, but uh, what do you call someone with no arms and no legs and no eye? You know, I mean, someone who really doesn't want to go to hell, I guess. Is that what Jesus wants us to do? Does he want us to start amputating? And where do you stop? Because is it really your arm that's causing the problem? Is it really your leg? Is it really your eye? No, it's your heart. It's your brain. You probably don't want to amputate that but yet it seems like he's pleading with us. Whatever you can do, do that. And I think that should bring us to this point where it's like, there's nothing I can do. And we cry out. Like, Jesus, help me. You're putting me in a bind here. I'm stuck. I can't just start chopping off limbs. Where do I stop? Where do I stop? And that's the good news, is that Jesus has triumphed over hell and the powers of darkness... So go back to Mount St. Helens for a second. I want you to imagine that Harry Truman is unwilling to leave, which was true, right? And he is sitting there in his house, and suddenly he hears, and he runs outside, and he looks, and he sees the mountains exploding. But he has some really good friends who love him a lot, like crazy. And they're in a helicopter, and they've been just waiting for this moment. And they see Harry run out of the house, and they see the mountain exploding. And so they come thundering in to the rescue. And they drop a rope ladder, and there's a guy on the end of the rope ladder, and he grabs Harry, and they fly out of there. And the smoke starts following in behind him. There's rocks flying by, and there's flames. And, 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 and they rescue him out of there. And they take him like 30 miles away. And then they land him in this little park, and there's a little lake and some little ducks and he's free, and he's been rescued. Wouldn't that be a cool ending to that story? Then it wouldn't just be, oh, this terrible thing happened. would be like, wow, but, but he was rescued from it. And I think that's what God has done for us. We're in this terrible spot where, like, to have any hope, we need to, like, cut out our brain. But we don't have to do that. Because Jesus came to the rescue. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, while we were failures, while we were guilty, while we deserved death, while we deserved nothing but destruction. Christ loved us. And he died for us. And he conquered sin, which was the thing that kept us from being with him, the thing that kept us from being forgiven. And, and I think it's like that last-minute thundering rescue, and I think, man, that is, that is so cool that God did that for us, that he came through at the last second and rescued us. And I want to read one more passage to you guys. Actually, a couple more passages, but I love this passage. It's Psalms 18.4. Uh, it's actually in a couple different places in the Bible. But it's a really powerful story. Let me set it up just a little bit. And what's going on is it's written by David. And he's being chased by Saul. Saul's trying to kill him. And he has other enemies who are trying to kill him. And, and basically, they've waited for him to be at some kind of a low point, And then they're coming after him. And they're accusing him. And they're trying to get him. And, and he's desperate. He doesn't know what to do. So what's he do? He, he calls out to God. He's like, God, I'm in despair. Save me. Rescue me. And God's up in heaven. And he's sitting there and he hears David's pleas, his cries. And he listens to them, they sink into his ears. And as he's sitting there listening to David crying out, he gets angry. He gets angry that people are treating David this way, that there's such injustice. And he's so angry that the earth starts to tremble and shake. And he gets up from his throne, and he starts heading down to the earth. He, he rides on top of a big winged angel, and he comes soaring down out of the sky. And he's got this, these big rain clouds around him. It's all dark, but his light is shining through it all. And he, he comes thundering down to the earth, and the earth is shaking under his presence. And he sends down hot coals and lightning and is going to destroy the enemies of David. And he just lays the earth bare before him. And then he comes down and he rescues David out of the depths that he's in and sets him in a nice, lovely place. Why? Because God loves David. And that's the picture he paints here. It's a very poetic picture. And so I wanted to explain it before we read it because I think you'll see it's... Wow, that's just what happened here. Okay, let's read this. Psalms 18, verse 4. David writes, The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress... I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help from his temple. He heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. And the earth trembled and quaked. And the foundations of the mountains shook, and they trembled because he was angry. And smoke rose from his nostrils. It's like a dragon now consuming fire, came from his mouth, burning coals blazed out. of He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. And he mounted the cherubim and flew, and he soared on the wings of the wind. And he made darkness his covering his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. And out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered his enemies with great bolts of lightning, and he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed, and the foundations of the earth laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of breath from your nostrils. He reached down from on high, and he took a hold of me, and he drew me out of the deep waters, and he rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me, They confronted me in the day of my disaster. But the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. That's pretty cool. I tell you what, if David felt that way about having some people who were trying to kill him? How much more do you think that would be a good picture of what God did in saving us from hell? Let's go back to creation. God created man and woman Adam and Eve and he loved them he created them in his image it would be like like his children and Satan came and deceived them and they chose Satan's way over God's way they chose sin instead of righteousness what do you think that did to God what do you think that did to his father's heart if you did that to my kids God would have to hold me back from hunting you down and destroying you. Man, that had to make God angry. And really, the rest of Scripture is, is God trying to reach out to his, to his kids, trying to draw them back, trying to love on them, trying to, trying to rescue them, and they keep rejecting Him, rejecting Him again and again and again, and He keeps reaching out. Until finally, He comes down from heaven in this thundering rescue with Jesus going to the cross, And he takes the cross, and he shoves it right in the heart of Satan. Taking a little bit of poetic liberty there. But isn't that what he's doing? Isn't he conquering death? Isn't he conquering the forces of evil? Isn't he righting a great wrong? Absolutely. He's coming to the rescue in our despair. He's thundering down from heaven like a dragon. Because he loves you! Because he loves you! Let's look at Colossians. Colossians 2.13 says, When you were dead in your sin, the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulation that was against us. And that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, destroying it. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, what are those? Those are the forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He disarmed them and he made them a public spectacle. He embarrassed them. He destroyed them and he triumphed over them by the cross. Man, that's what happened. That's what happened. Jesus came to the rescue. you know what, you don't need to be afraid of hell tonight because Jesus has conquered hell. You don't need to be afraid of Satan because Jesus has conquered Satan. You don't need to be afraid of death because Jesus has conquered death. And that's the good news of hell is that it's been dealt with. It's been taken care of. Jesus came to a thundering rescue to save you from that. You think it's horrible? He thinks it's horrible too. And that's why he rescued you from it. Just like if somebody had come and, and rescued that guy from Mount St. Helens at the last second, that's what God did for you. And you can rejoice in that. And you can be happy for that. And if you're sitting here tonight and you're still a little uncomfortable, like, ah, I don't know, how do I know that I'm going to heaven? Just do what David did. You just cry out, God, Rescue me. Rescue me. I think that's the heart of the gospel right there. You cry out like that, sincerely, he'll rescue you. He'll rescue you. He loves you so much. He wants you to be rescued. That's his heart. That's his heart. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you love us. I thank you that you didn't leave us in despair, but that you came and that you rescued us. And you conquered death. And you conquered hell. And you destroyed the evil forces. God, you are so amazing. God, I thank you that just, man, if that's your heart toward David, just one person, how much more so is that your heart toward us, your children? have gone astray. Thank you that you love me like that. God, help us to walk away with that as our takeaway. That you're our thundering rescuer. Let that be the thing that's imprinted on our hearts here tonight. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.